0: This is the Next Trip podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own.
1: Good day, and welcome to Fordy Past 137, operating on July 11, 2022. This is Doug, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider Drew. We're two app geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. We talked last week about how we had to work over the holidays, and Drew, did we ever have to work? PSA for all of our listeners, (laughs) remember to thank an airline employee when you travel this summer. We're all working extra hard right now.
2: Yeah, isn't that the truth? Very few of us have had any holidays off in the last several years. We're not asking for your pity. We chose to do this because we love this industry, Doug. We also have another industry professional that's used to not having any holidays off. It's Matt. (laughs) He's back for a third time. He has worked in the industry for decades and has probably... Well, he's probably missed about the same ho- holidays as I have because he's about the same age. He's an airline brat, he's an airline veteran, and now a travel agent. Matt, this is your third time on the show. Actually, fourth technically because we were, you were on last week and our recording failed, but we don't want to delve into that. This means you are now a co-host. Were you working during the holiday?
0: Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it work because... Because you love what you do. Oh, Matt, uh, that's so yeah. sweet. That is, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I would do it for free, right? Um, <laughs> some holidays, it depends on what you're doing, uh, as you know, because they they may be super busy, like, you know, Christmas time. But then it can also be the opposite. It can be super slow because people are on a holiday. You know, different times, uh, I've just been, you know, if I'm, you know, at work now, uh, the call volume can be low during
1: like on holidays because people aren't at home. Drew, that was a long, a long winded answer to say <laughs> no. No, I was not working. <laughs> I was working, but I wasn't
0: working while I was at work. How about that?
2: Matt, I'm not supposed to talk about this, but I got to mention it because it's so funny. <laughs> Matt spends uh, like half an hour booking this person to uh, some islands in the Indian Ocean and uh, she wanted to go to the Seychelles. And then Matt said the city which was actually in the Maldives, so spent about, what, half an hour booking her? And she's like, no, I didn't want to go there, even though you mentioned the city several times.
0: Yeah, that can happen sometimes. Um, and, you know, I, I, like I told you, sometimes people know just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> um, so it's like maybe they saw something on a travel show once, but they never really deep dived into it to, to research it further and then you know like uh, i think it starts with an m and i was like oh is it this yeah that's it oh, okay well then you know why would i question it further uh should be like i need to have like this um interrogation at the beginning like have you ever been there before <laughs> uh, can you point uh, it out on a map <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's that sometimes can can happen it, it, you know especially if it's someplace that's that's not like uh, detroit there's you know it's like, oh, well, okay, have you ever been to Detroit
1: before? You don't really have to do that on, on a city like that. Have you ever actually booked someone to Detroit, though? Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry to our Detroit <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, the connection.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, no disrespect there. I'm, I'm just saying, like, Detroit's a very unique city. Like, that wouldn't be
1: confused with anywhere else. So. Correct.
2: Yeah. Doug, do you want to tell us about the end of your trip and how you went from uh, a Hello Kitty meal in Taipei to watching fireworks in, uh, in New York City basically yeah. during the same weekend?
1: It was like a day later. Yeah. But I know we said we would talk about getting out of Taipei. It was it was easy. Getting out was a lot easier than getting in. It's funny because on the crew bus, everyone was just so chatty mm. on the way back to the airport. And even on the flight throughout the night, because it was a, a red eye on the way home, the other pilot and I were just chatting the entire time. And I think part of it was 36 hours of Sensory deprivation, not being around other other people, not being outside, not getting that fresh air, and we're on the airplane going home, leaving this quarantine, this prison, if you will, sitting in the hotel in Taipei. Yeah, that was that was great. Got home, took a quick nap because I had flown during the night, and I woke up to a phone call from crew scheduling saying, "Hey, hello, how are you? You're going to Newark tomorrow." on leaving on the fourth. But what I, what I did say to you though, Drew was if I was going to have to fly over the holidays and and miss being at home with my family, 4th of July is my favorite holiday. Absolutely love grill outs and fireworks and drinking beer and and all of that. New York is probably the best place that I could have been. Yeah. Those fireworks looked amazing. That was the best firework show I've seen in my life. And I've seen Disney world around the holidays. I've seen lots of, lots of really good firework shows. It was forty eight thousand shells on five different barges on the East River. We're talking like a mile long, all in sync. They they all went off together, and it was forty minutes of th- think about your local fireworks show and the grand finale where there's a whole bunch of fireworks going off. This entire show was like forty minutes of, of a, a grand, grand finale. finale. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> well, yeah,
2: and it was uh, it was beautiful fireworks. Here, yeah, of course, we saw it on TV. You know, while we're working. But it was mm-hmm. a very clear day on the east coast, so it was a great day for fireworks. Yeah.
1: The the weather was weather was perfect. It was gorgeous. Now I will say it reminded me because Marissa and I have done New Year's in Times Square, it reminded me of that. Only humid. You had to you had to go into a pen. you, you can only funnel in at certain roads. So even though it stretches like all all along half of Manhattan, to get to the riverfront, you have to go in through these control points. Yeah. And the lines to get him are crazy. And once you're in, you're in. And if you leave you can't get back can't get back in. Again, just like New York or Times Square for New Year's. I wouldn't I I don't think I would do it again. Yeah. Even if I was there for the fourth, unless I was with my family. Even though the show was awesome, I would I would maybe try and find a place on a different street that's not in the pen, but I would not go in the pen because you're standing I was standing for an hour before the show even started right just packed in so tight with all these people yeah and then when it was done everyone had to funnel back out through the same entry points and it took probably 45 minutes to even get back out was it worth it once probably
2: yeah (laughs) all right matt what did you do
0: well, I I told you about it. This isn't really holiday related, but but I did have uh, kind of a blast from the past. So it does have the word blast, so that's kind of like fireworks. But um, <laughs> hey, that's
2: that's a stretch. But
0: yeah. uh, just trying to segue in, into to the topic. You know, after work, you know, I'm watching YouTube and. I saw a video about uh, DIA and you know there's there's quite a few of them out there about the history of the airport and like the conspiracy theories and things like that but uh, what, what but, is DIA for the listeners who don't know what that is Oh oh it's Denver International Airport but okay. But the, the confusing thing can be, it's like, well, the city code is not DIA; it, mm-hmm. it is DEN, of course. But I don't know. DIA must be some airport in Japan somewhere. I don't know <laughs> what, what, what that if that is a code. But they were interviewing um, a guy on there, and I see the chief construction and infrastructure officer Jim Starling, and I'm like, Jim Starling. It's like no way. I'm like that. That's I went to junior high school with him. And it was crazy because uh, his name is fairly kind of unique, like um, so. It's not like a Smith or anything like that. No, no disrespect to the Smiths out there, but uh, (laughs) but, (laughs) we just lost all the Smiths. The Smiths and Detroit Smiths. Thanks, right? Yeah, Uh, I uh, applaud uh, him for uh, his his uh, his new promotion. So he was just, uh, I guess. made um the new chief construction person there at the airport but but uh, i went and looked at my seventh grade yearbook and he had wrote uh to a cool dude and then the e was crossed out so uh, i guess I'm, I'm a dud but you know it's <laughs> typical, <laughs> uh, <laughs> typical teenage type stuff uh, which I, I thought was funny but i was like yeah, even Jim. the
2: goofballs can make it somehow that's just proof <laughs> I have a little airport story because my weekend was all about work. I don't want, let me not use the word blast because it was an emergency landing. Everything went well and everything was (laughs) trying to segue from that. We're not doing well with the segues so far, man. No. (laughs) We had an emergency landing. It was a flight going from New York to uh, Raleigh-Durham having a hydraulic issue. They declared an emergency, but they landed normally and the flight was met by uh, rescue equipment. Thankfully, it was uneventful. You know, Doug, we talked about everyone working together. So we hear about this. We have about 15 minutes to prepare. And we've done a lot of work even before the plane lands. We're already looking at what plane we're going to switch to. We have customer service and ramp preparing for the arrival. I'm in contact with the move team that is gone out to as far as they can go so that airport ops can escort them to the runway. So everything's ready. The plane lands. The It doesn't have hydraulics. So move team tows it to the gate. And we park it next to the plane that we're going to switch into. And everyone knows um, airlines are fleets are stretched thin. So it's not like we just had an extra Airbus hanging out. So we stole the aircraft that's going to Mexico City. And of course, someone says, why would we steal an international plane for a domestic? It's because this is an emergency landing. We don't know what these people have been through. We want to minimize this drama get them on to Raleigh, Durham, and we'll, we'll have a we'll have coverage for the Mexico flight. We have other planes coming in. We'll do that crankdown if we have the to. The crankdown, yep. Where we steal from uh, Peter to pay Paul throughout the day and we get everyone out. Plane comes in. What we want to know is was the cabin prepared for an emergency landing? Was an announcement made? Did they brace? What was customer reaction? Customer reaction was great because the crew did such a good job explaining what was going on. They didn't, Prep the cabin for an emergency because the crew didn't deem it necessary. It's a hydraulic system. And Doug, you know this the airplanes have more than one. So one of the backups failed. They still have another one. Yeah. It's not a complete loss.
1: You say every emergency has different follow on ramifications. Is it a flying issue? Meaning, do we need to get on the ground immediately because the airplane is not going to fly well? Hydraulic system, you have backups. No, it's not really a flying issue. Is it a, a landing issue? It could be because they may not be able to get all their flaps and slats out. And then you take it a step further. Right. Is it a bra- is it a braking issue? Yeah, they they probably didn't have all the flaps and slots, which meant that they had a higher approach speed. But you get a long enough runway, which Dulles has,
2: and you may have to use uh, more braking energy. So you have hot brakes. So that's something we have to you know look at. came man, it was textbook. We had uh, we were preparing to open one of the clubs for those customers. If it was a worse situation where we had to bring everyone into uh, a club to uh, see how they're doing and everything, but it wasn't necessary. Customers were calm. There was no, there were no complaints. Got them on the new plane. They were out in two hours. And, of course, we got that Mexico City flight covered.
1: Was it the same crew?
2: Same crew. Okay. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when there's an emergency, the crew will be taken out of service just so yeah, they can they have to get write about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but it wasn't that severe that that was needed. Now, we're not even talking. We're talking about the ramp, the move team. We also have uh, talked to catering, fueling to get the new plane set up. Anyway, it was back out. And, you know, how we know that we did a good job is, number one, are the customers okay? And they were fine. There was, like, no, no, everyone went back on the plane. Like, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing on Twitter. There's nothing on the local news. Because I know some of these sites, they love to, like, trumpet emergency landing, even if it's something minor.
1: Part of it is is how the crew responds to it and what they say to the passengers as well. You might be an emergency aircraft per ATC, like the pilots might have declared an emergency with air traffic control. They they probably did. I I would have with a hydraulic issue. Again, this goes back to what is the impact of the flying? What is the impact to the people in the back? Nothing, very little. So the passengers in the back may not have known that they were an emergency aircraft. They just knew that there there was something that was forcing them to land at a different airport and switch airplanes. If it's not something that is truly I hate to say, life or death situation, if, if it's not anything, there's no reason to get them worked up and to explain all of that to them. Oh, folks, this, you know, from the flight deck... We've lost a hydraulic system. A hydraulic system is really important to fly the airplane. So we're, you don't say that. You you, you don't. And, yeah. and that's probably what happened. And part of the reason why the customers were comfortable, because it was not really that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things.
2: Right. These things happen. And it is still an emergency because the hydraulic system is, a, is an important component. You do have a backup. But the plane didn't land immediately in Philadelphia or something. So they were stable. They were flying okay that they could get to Dulles where mm-hmm. so we have a replacement airplane and a replacement crew if needed. Doug, anything else about your trip before we get started? No, I want to forget all about it. <laughs> let's, let's get going. <laughs> all right. Well, I got to say one more thing about the hello kitty. <laughs> so on Twitter, Kelly Lepley, who is uh Matt, I don't know if you know her, but she's famous. She's a, uh, UPS seven forty seven eight pilot. She tweeted a picture of her having, I think in the same hotel,
1: right? It was the same in Taipei. hotel Taipei.
2: Yeah. And she tweeted a picture of her Hello Kitty snack. And of course I I tweeted back with, you know, ah, I guess it looks like everyone's getting the standard issue Hello Kitty snack in Taipei. <laughs> She's a listener now. Kelly, if you're listening, come on the show and tell everyone yourself about your trip to Taipei or wherever.
1: The the best part was she also said, I wasn't prepared for a Taipei layover. Something must have must have happened en route or they got retasked or something. Yeah. And it's just funny the way she said, I wasn't prepared. It totally is true. You have to be prepared and ready for it. You have to have food in your bag. You have to have workout bands because you can't go to the gym. They're, they're like You really have to prepare to go to Taipei right now.
2: Well, Taipei is getting a bad rap in aviation circles because of these restrictions, but I have a close friend from high school who's from Taiwan, Taipei. I've heard wonderful things about it. So I can't wait till I can't wait to get back when it's open and I can non-rev and we can enjoy Taipei here. It's fabulous. All right. We got to get to work before we get into our aviation tank dives or aviation rants as you are famous for Matt. You just did a 15 day road trip with your son visiting places the family tree took you to and you crossed off two states, two more states off your visited list, bringing your total to 48 out of 50. How was it and how was your Avgeek excursion to the TWA Museum in Kansas City?
0: It was a, a great trip. Really I never had taken a, a road trip at least not like that. It, it was kind of a, a throwback type of a a trip, you know, we didn't have a station wagon and it wasn't we didn't have a family truckster with the bags on top like family <laughs> re- vacation, but uh but it, it we did actually go to uh there's a museum outside of Chicago um, called the Volo Museum, uh, and there was actually a family truckster there, mo- like a mock-up from the movie. So uh-huh. did, did did see that, you know, with the gold uh, and the the wood wood, wood. panel. So wood side. paneling. Yeah. yeah. You know, my son's into family ancestry, so we were going to a, a lot of different locations, uh, grave sites, where, uh, so, you know, it's kind of really down the, the, the tree, like great, 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 great uncles and things like that but you know he he kind of has a, a bucket list of his own to, to visit as many places that he can and he you know will take pictures and and we do some cleaning of stones that are probably maybe never been cleaned or it's been a really long time and so so it's, it's kind of rewarding in that that regard i did have to, you know drag him to the twa museum because i i needed something for for dad that was not <laughs> that was fun not yeah, that was something that right. I was like, that's <laughs> right. I was like, that's the least you could do is do something that I want to do um, for this trip. I kind of mapped out our an itinerary that looked like it would not like it'd be a loop type, you know, where we didn't have to backtrack. And uh, I was kind of looking to see where we needed to go up in North and South Dakota and how to get there. And it uh, just happened to be that I, I was looking, I think, on uh, TripAdvisor and saw you know top attractions in kansas city and i was like oh there's the tab museum and i start kind of started looking at that and said you know tried to plan it so we could go there just lots of history uh, you know memorabilia just you know uniforms and model airplanes and the old training facility there at the the old downtown airport and just a lot of a lot of cool things uh, if you have a chance uh i would recommend uh, stopping by it's
2: did you know that there was a TWA museum there, or you just found it in your Yelp search or your, you know, things to do?
0: Yeah, I just just kind of stumbled upon it uh, just by accident, really. But, you know, it wasn't something that was, like, uh, on my, my dream list of places to go. It just happened to to be there, so it definitely took advantage of the of the time.
1: Well, you you said last week when we recorded that it would have been about a 30-minute stop, if not for the volunteers, and you ended up spending two or three hours because the the biggest part of the museum was just talking with those former employees and hearing their stories
0: yeah that's priceless right uh because uh, yeah those the it's you know airlines are about the people and uh, you know even if you know TWA is uh, you know was absorbed into you know American it, it still is you know the pe- there's still a lot of people out there that you know started with TWA or you know they, they they worked there for a large portion of their careers, but uh, yeah, for for to have them uh, telling about uh, their airline uh, was was just really neat. It, it made the, the made the trip even more interesting, and you know they could tell you things um, that you know you wouldn't have known otherwise. So mm-hmm. that that part was was my favorite part is is just talking with uh, the folks there. You're going to tell us your routing. I put together uh, a list of of cities that. Uh, you know, have regular scheduled air service uh, as our uh, to kind of describe where our route uh, took us, and, and and it's almost like a milk run from you know the, uh, the old days. Uh, so if you would have been on a DC three, you might have flown to all these cities in one day, and it was no wonder it took you like <laughs> six, seven, like twenty four. Yeah. yeah, that would have been fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was i was watching one show a while ago where they would fly during the daytime and then take a train at night mm-hmm. and then you know i was just like um that's well, how they would do get... the transcons and, uh,
1: yeah. and they would they would yeah. then the airplanes were in the, the different cities and the crew would sleep on the train that was how they got their crew rest and they would get to the next city pick up the next airplane and continue on yeah all right and th- even for some of the mail routes there's still some of there's uh,
0: some uh waypoints where uh there's giant arrows mm-hmm. that are uh, on the ground that they could yes. follow and there's yeah. some out in the de- and like out in the desert in the west you can still yeah. see those
1: arizona new mexico i think uh nevada has some so i, I kind of likened
0: our our trip to the uh the johnny cash song i've been everywhere and um the actual song itself has i believe six places that we we went to i uh, kind of made a, a list here and I think uh, we were gonna try and do a uh, <laughs> yeah, rendition wait. No, of that. You... Yeah, let me
2: start it off. We had practice last week, which was a mess.
1: <laughs> I think it's gonna be better now.
2: I hope it's gonna be better. All right, let me start you off. I've been everywhere, man. Cross the deserts, bare man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I've traveled. I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere.
0: I've been to. Greenville, Spartanburg, Atlanta, Birmingham, Tupelo, Memphis, Springfield, Kansas City, Des Moines, Aberdeen, Fargo, Minneapolis, Waterloo, Dubuque, Rockford, Chicago, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Lexington, <laughs> Knoxville,
1: Asheville. I've been everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that One was take. better than last, One take. last week. <laughs> That's and why we had week. to retape. That's because <laughs> of that. Was it really Cincinnati, though, or was it Covington, Kentucky?
2: Oh yeah, we gotta be. Yeah, precise. we
1: have to. Oh, yeah. yeah, we we, we kind of have to points. readdress that. Well, we it would would have been. Yeah, I guess you the, drove into Cincinnati, probably. Yeah, we were on the outskirts. Uh,
0: actually, had a, a a pretty significant delay uh, in our travels through there. There was apparently a car fire on the interstate. Was the car
2: fire your car
0: because you had to buy a new car <laughs> during the trip? No, that was actually in Iowa. So, so we had a, we had an aircraft substitution there in the, <laughs> the middle of yeah. the the country. There,
1: uh, that was that was well before that. And, then, and just for the record, it never did catch fire, but uh, it did <laughs> it did seize up. That's actually a, a great thing to say for the listeners. And, and going back to what you were talking about, Drew, the diversion into DC for that Raleigh flight, it yeah. happens it, even if people say, "Well, I'm just going to drive. I don't want to deal with flying." It, yeah, Matt it had to Matt, <laughs> Matt drove and had to buy a new car on this trip. Right. So don't yeah. don't get mad at the airplanes when they when they break down too. Cars do that as well. Mm-hmm. They, they always say that flying is always the safest
0: tra- way to travel. Exactly. So um, mm-hmm.
1: That in, that includes uh, mechanicals on your own vehicles. Well, Matt, you really did go everywhere on this trip, and i I. It touches my heart that you went to Dubuque, my hometown. That's exciting, but unfortunately, you're you're gonna have to take that off your list in October when American stops flying there. Cause oh. you, you, yeah, because you said it's it's everywhere with scheduled service, but I, I digress. Let's go back <laughs> to Kansas City and the connection to TWA, which we talked about recently. We talked both about Kansas City as a possible or as a previous hub and possibly a, a new hub going forward, and how TWA was based there. Can you fill us in a little bit of the history of why there is a TWA museum in Kansas City? I think everyone knows about JFK and St. Louis. Very few probably remember about TWA in Kansas City. Right, and I was the same way. I
0: I had seen, I think, some pictures on some of the Facebook pages that I'm on, and you know, it seems like they're referencing Kansas City a lot. And I never really uh, knew there was a connection there, but uh, they actually had their headquarters there in Kansas City, established in 1931. Also interesting, there was. Two airports in Kansas City, Um, so there's the current uh, airport where the museum is located, uh, the municipal airport, which is Charles B. Wheeler Field, or MKC. It's uh, just north of uh, the downtown area uh, near the river, and there's actually another airport across the river, a very small uh, Fairfax industrial airport. Through some expansion, TWA actually added some facility over across the river, so they had some of their overhaul uh, on one side of the mm-hmm. river, and then some of it was on the other side uh, since they were uh, needed more space. Was and
2: the was the museum in one of these faci- older facilities?
0: It, yeah, it's the the m- museum is over like in where there's this. It, it's now part of uh, Signature uh, FBO, but the um, uh, yeah the original building is still there for the what they used to where they used to maintain the like DC threes and the constellations and the turboprop or propeller airplanes were serviced there but when they went to the jets they had to go to a larger facility so it was too small but they did have a flood in 1951 uh, that being down by the river there it uh, devastated both the airports and that actually led to the construction of mci or the mid-continent international uh, airport in platte county which is uh, the airport of uh, the international airport to, of today uh, that most people wouldn't be familiar with and so that was completed in 1972, and it was one of the world, uh, country's largest airports. And uh, mm. it was a showplace for TWA there. And they originally, you know, then they did move uh, their operations from MKC over to MCI uh, after the, that airport opened. And, and uh, so TWA in Kansas City uh, pioneered the drive-to-gate model uh, with having a horseshoe-shaped terminals and gates where you could be uh, just a few feet from curbside that you can kind of see in the movies with the chain-link fences and things like that.
1: Unfortunately, that feature of the airport, which they pitched as the future of travel, where you take your car and you step off the curb and you literally walk right to the gate and all of the gates, 100 gates or 80 gates, however many it was, they all were curbside. Essentially, you get out of your car and you're right at your gate. That feature became the downfall of both TWA and Kansas City and the airport itself. Southern Airways Flight 49 from Birmingham, Alabama to Orlando was hijacked on November 10th, 1972, It ended up landing in Havana with no injuries, and the three hijackers were arrested. Kansas City Airport, MCI, opened on November 11th, the following day. This drove the FAA to require passengers to go through security screening prior to boarding. The design of the airport left little room for large security checkpoints. Because of this, TWA decided MCI's terminals could not support a primary hub. They reluctantly ruled out Chicago as the operation there was already losing $25 million a year, under competition from American and United. TWA ended up choosing St. Louis as their alternative to Kansas City, and we all know how that went. TWA and St. Louis became synonymous with each other, and Kansas City faded off into the background.
2: Matt, you're a travel agent now and have to sometimes help passengers when they're caught in airline delays and cancellations, so we're sure you've had to deal with the irregular ops, or ear ops, as we call it. What's going on in the world?
0: Travel chaos uh, from Sydney to... United States to Amsterdam so lots of uh, flights uh, delayed or canceled uh, over the holiday weekend with nearly uh, 2,500 on Saturday alone so definitely uh, impacting people on their their holiday travels in addition to um, cancellations over the holiday weekend uh, there was also a software glitch in American that allowed pilots to drop more than 12,000 trips from their schedules this month uh, though the airline says the vast majority the effective trips are restored to proper staffing levels. Despite all this, uh, research from Barron's uh, shows that cancellation rate over the holiday weekend was actually lower than overall year-to-date cancellation rate of 3.5%. So even though the the media will make things sound worse <laughs> than they really are, it's, it's, the data okay. suggests otherwise. Can I,
2: can I stop you for just a second? So during the weekend, before my shift, I'm watching the news, CNN, Fox, all that. It just seems like these reporters are at the airport. Hoping that something will go wrong, because they're in the airport, everything's fine. Yeah, people are going through, <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, it looks like it's getting kind of getting busy here." There are about ten people in line. It's like, "Go home! You're not going. You want some drama to explode at the airport?" We kind of we're getting it under control.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's when they show the file footage from like eight years ago, and they're like, "Oh, this is at Thanksgiving," and like,
1: "Really? Wow!" <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, why, "Why are people in parkas?" And why right. are, why is Northwest? Checking counter. It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slow news day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> also, uh, down under, uh, extreme weather, school holidays, and staffing shortages uh, cause uh, airport chaos in Sydney, where check-in and screening queues stretched out the door and onto the airport roadway. Never liked to see that. And also in Amsterdam, security lines at one point were nearly six hours. Oh my god! Did you Longer see the pictures of
1: Amsterdam? I, I know we keep talking about Amsterdam this summer, but I saw photos of tents. They they set up like the Easy Up shade mm-hmm. tents <clears throat> out on the roadway like going into the airport, and passengers were half a mile out of the terminal under these te- these temporary tents that they set up. That's crazy.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. My last weekend, we were at home, and Robbie was uh, binge watching Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. While he was binge watching, I was hate watching that show because I was sitting in the chair doing my flight training. But of course, I got to make my peanut gallery comments about this hate watching there. I read in a blog that some airlines are now hate selling tickets, which (laughs) me. (laughs) (laughs) So this blog was about uh, a large German airline. (laughs) They said this airline is currently hate selling tickets because they can't manage. They've already reduced their schedule by a thousand flights in July. So they're hate selling tickets between munich and frankfurt for a thousand dollars round trip which is basically telling people we don't want to sell you tickets (laughs) (laughs) that's going to keep going on but matt you were saying it's kind of calm as far as being a travel agent because people have already booked for the summer so now it's kind of calming down because they're booking for the fall which is less crazy
0: another thing we talked about is that uh, a lot of times uh, when there are cancellations uh, airlines will run uh, auto reacom programs that automatically rebook so uh, once the airline takes control of the ticket,
1: we really don't have any involvement after that because, uh, you know, the, the work has already been done. So it's sometimes not like the, it's not like the '70s and '80s where you have to call your travel agent and say, "I'm stuck in Cleveland. How to get me home? How how do right. I do this?" Right. Not
0: not to say that uh, during irregular ops, um, as everyone has seen, that that still is kind of a manual process, though, because people still are having to wait in line and, and really the standby process is one of the hardest things to automate, uh, because, you know, you may be confirmed on a flight like a day later, but you're at stuck at the airport. So of course you're going to stand by for another flight, but you have to be put on a standby list. So mm. you can't, you can't do that on a computer or, or, or through the website. So, so that's, you know, you see these long lines, uh, of people still because of things like that where, y- you know, you, you're, or you you've been confirmed like two days from now, and that's you know obviously not going to work. So you're like wanting to just talk to somebody else to find something that works, you know, is more realistic, or you know. So, but a lot of times, uh, you know, in 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 where I work, uh, the we just don't get a lot of those calls, just because unless they're have been rebooked and they want to book something else because you know the yeah. airline but it won't put them on another airline. Or, right. you know, they, maybe they want to, Sometimes they want to rent a car and they want to drive. So th- mm-hmm. that happens. Well, Doug, can we
2: do a um, public service announcement? So yeah. Doug and I travel on revenue tickets, and sometimes we have irregular ops where our flight is canceled or it's changed. Please, everyone who's listening, get the airline app. Mm-hmm. Because instead of waiting in line for an hour, the app on most of these airlines, they're fabulous. It'll come up. It'll give me all my options, all kinds of routings. This is a dream for av geeks cuz now the the network is all yours and you but can book your however you want even because you're in a regular ops
1: even now it, it, they've taken it a step further and they give you your suggested reroute It'll say, do you want to accept this reroute? And it'll it'll have your options. And then there's another option below it that says, no, I want to look for something else. So that the airline, because they realize that the majority of the traveling public is not like us or our listeners, where we can fend for ourselves and we can look and see where we're going to go. The majority of the traveling public right now are people who haven't traveled since pre-COVID or travel once a year, maybe twice a year, and don't really know how to go through that process and the the apps are getting so much smarter and they're able to look and say we are literally handing this in front of your face saying do you accept this change and then you can look for other things if you want if
2: you're if your grandmother is traveling and she's not app savvy find out her routing keep in touch you add the app mm-hmm. you add the american or united app and you can use her PNR and you
1: can do it for her
2: Yeah. use her PNR and when her when she gets um, rerouted you can see what 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 she's being offered and book her so she's mm-hmm. not stranded in some airport the important thing is if your flight cancels do it right away because there's another there's 300 people now that are looking for ways to get out of washington or uh, san francisco or wherever
0: yeah, Right, right That's and my so uh, just to wrap that up to uh you know the auto reacom system works great uh when it's uh, a single flight cancellation but whenever you have uh, wholesale uh irregular ops uh with you know hundreds of cancellations uh, that's where it starts to be an issue just because it starts to rebook days out um, mm-hmm. and not if it's the same day works great mm-hmm. but uh, but whenever we, everything is sold out for days that's that's where it it becomes an issue and uh you know a lot of uh, travel advisors will will say you know take non-stops and fly in the morning mm-hmm. um you know sometimes uh, it may be a little bit more expensive to do that but um, you know, if you can avoid uh, a connecting flight uh, and you have the option to fly nonstop, that is going to save you a lot of headaches. Because wouldn't you rather be either stuck at home or in the location that you are uh, traveling to than being in a, in a connecting point? So yeah. always it the better way to do that?
2: Matt and I have our head-banging moments when he tells me about this customer who booked a 30-minute connection over the summer, thinking everything's going to be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I thought yeah. about that being an airline employee, 30-minute connection.
0: Anyway. Yeah. Well, I have, th- I have that conversation a lot. I was like, essentially what's happening is that you will book a flight um, through a, a connecting city, and you will arrive on one bank, and you will have to really book a connection on the next bank, which isn't what the airlines intended. They, they want to connect on the same bank, but some of these connections are so ridiculously short that m- sh- most people shouldn't be making those connections my mom and uh my wife went through chicago and they had like a 50 minute connection flight was on time and they still almost missed a flight almost missed it yeah and they were on time and it was almost an hour i booked it and i was like this should be fine and and they were like
1: we had to run and we didn't have our bags and i'm like that i guess that is chicago i didn't really Mm. even think of that all right well let's stay in europe Scandinavian flag carrier SAS filed for bankruptcy protection this week. They filed for Chapter 11 protection in the U.S. to help speed up its restructuring plans. The airline has been struggling with liquidity and financial health for more than two years. A recent uptick in travel in Europe hasn't yet been able to help SAS better its financial position. The airline expects the restructuring process to last 9 to 12 months and will allow it to renegotiate contracts with key suppliers, such as aircraft lessers. This is the same thing as what Philippine airlines did during the pandemic, and they right. have emerged stronger. Aeromexico did that, Virgin Australia. The, the list goes on of airlines mm-hmm. around the world. Norwegian. Who have gone, yeah, Norwegian who have gone into Chapter 11 protection and come out stronger, a lot like what the US airlines went through in 2008, 2009, 2010 timeframe. The airline will continue to operate its scheduled flying throughout the bankruptcy, though its mm-hmm. current schedule is being impacted by an ongoing pilot strike.
2: I did not know that SAS was in dire straits like this, but I guess the the travel market is strong, so these investors are willing to work with them to restructure because they know it's going to be successful. Mm-hmm. if They reduce cost. Of, you know, it's, there's no problem filling planes right now.
1: This isn't the <clears throat> first time that SAS has been in this position, though. They they have uh, of the major European carriers, if you, if you can call them a major European carrier, aside from probably Iberia before they got bought by IAG and Italia, SAS has been one of the weakest from a financial standpoint for a very long time. This isn't yeah. just a COVID thing. This is like years and years of struggles, financial struggles finally coming to a head uh, a- after the pandemic. And to be honest, I'm surprised that it took even this long for them to decide that they needed to restructure. I figured yeah. it would have been months ago, earlier yeah. in the pandemic.
2: Yeah, well, all the best to them. I haven't flown them yet, but that is on my list. All right, let's go to a different part of the world now, guys. Let's go. Let's go back to Asia, where Doug was. Though I, um, I think you probably want to not think about Asia right now in your trip to (laughs) Taipei. I'm sorry, that was your first experience. But let's talk about a positive. Singapore is loosening their travel restrictions, and you can fly through Singapore now with no test. You don't need a test. You just have to be fully vaccinated. Travel is resurgent through uh, Singapore Changi Airport, and we talked about how they're expecting to be at 100% of pre-COVID levels very soon. Singapore Airlines North America service, in fact, now tops pre-COVID levels. The airline operates more flights to North America than it did in January 2020, if you can believe. What a turnaround. Sirium data shows that Singapore offers 500, offered 532 flights to North America in June. That is up 5% over the last peak, which occurred just as COVID was beginning to spread globally. Capacity was up thirteen percent, and the load factor to North America, Doug, is eighty seven percent. That is, is amazing. awesome. <laughs> that is yeah, amazing. that's like domestic load factors, yeah. right? A- as we speak, Ian, a friend of the show and a good buddy, is in Singapore visiting his family. So this mm-hmm. is really happening. Uh, this is an important segment of Singapore's global root structure. As flights to the U.S. account for fifteen to twenty percent of Singapore's revenue, I never knew it was that much.
1: That's that's crazy because they don't have all that many flights to the no. United States. It's what Seattle, San Francisco, L.A., New Houston, York. and New York. I, I think yeah. that's it. And that that's tw- fifteen to twenty percent of their entire revenue. That's nuts.
2: Yeah. Oh, don't forget Houston. We'll be flying on them to Houston. Yeah, I I did say Houston. Yeah. (laughs) You did say Houston. Uh. Okay. By comparison, Cathay Pacific, unfortunately, only operated 130 flights to North America in June. That is down 90% from what they had in January 2020. And then looking further into Asia, China announced this week that it is loosening entry restrictions on U.S. citizens, and transit via a third country is now permitted. So, yeah, we're seeing green shoots in Asia, so that's going to be great for uh, our airline because our airline... Travels to Asia a lot. We need to reopen a lot of these routes we used to fly, like from Washington to uh, to Beijing.
1: Yeah, the the Singapore thing is is big news, but I think the biggest news that just came out now is this: the China loosening its restrictions. What what it means by traveling via third country? You could fly JAL from Los Angeles to Tokyo to China now, which you were not previously mm-hmm. unable to do. You you couldn't connect in a, a third country; you had to fly nonstop. And I was also reading. That because there were so few non-stops between the U.S. and North America and Asia, tickets and economy were going for upwards of $10,000. And when you got there, you had, to um, go, you, you had to go into a, it had been 21-day quarantine, and then it went down to 14, and these new restrictions, it's now only, only it still sounds like it sucks, but it's only a seven-day quarantine in a government quarantine facility, and then three days of home monitoring, and then you're you're free to leave that's okay. still so ten, that 10 days is still a lot but it's better than the 14 <clears throat> it's better than the 21 and they're starting to loosen the travel restrictions in china
2: all right let's get back to the u.s doug we purposely avoided talking about the spirit frontier jet blue drama this week though the investor vote is set to occur after we record but before we release this episode we'll probably cover the drama again next week depending on the results
1: of the vote yeah, I think regardless of what the results are, we'll probably talk about it in the next episode. If Spirit and Frontier merger goes through, though, Frontier would become the fifth largest airline in the country with 293 aircraft and 14,000 employees. If they keep the Frontier name, they will keep the long legacy the airline has. But Matt, you reminded us that the Frontier of today is not the one of your drew before matt takes us back in time enlighten the listeners about today's frontier
2: all right so today's frontier was founded in 1994 using boeing 737s in 2003 frontier launched the a318 and in 2005 they became an all airbus airline in 2010 holding company republic airways announced that frontier and midwest airlines would merge under the frontier airlines name with the iconic midwest cookie and the slogan of midwest airlines the best care in the air incorporated into the Frontier brand. In 2021, Frontier became a publicly traded company. Matt, now tell us about the original or vintage Frontier, which your dad worked for, and you were a non-revolve.
0: Not only a lot of people are probably old enough to remember uh, that uh, Frontier was an airline before the current version, and and it's not a reboot um, either. So the the name is the same, uh, the hub city is the same, but uh, two different airlines altogether Uh, so the original frontier actually operated from 1950 to 1986 uh, so and then it was incorporated into uh well as people express and then continental after that but so the original airport in denver was uh, stapleton international so that was actually named after mayor benjamin stapleton and it Mm. opened in 1929. the current airport was uh uh, which is denver international opened in 1995 so stapleton was open you know, for a long time in Denver and it's a lot closer to downtown and it's actually been redevelopment, uh, redeveloped um, and only the control tower stands now. Frontier was actually initially a merger of three DC3 uh, airline operators and uh, Arizona Airways, Challenger and Monarch. Uh, so they uh, were the three airlines that uh, formed Frontier and then Frontier actually purchased another airline in 1967 called Central Airlines in, in Texas uh, so again, so there was consolidation going on, uh, even back uh, before deregulation and and uh, you know current times. So that's something that's always been evolving. Frontier went from DC threes, they went to the, the Convair three hundred and forty, and then the the, the five hundred and eighty, and then their the, their first jet was actually seven twenty seven, and they were uh, serving one hundred and fourteen cities with fifty six planes <clears throat> by nineteen sixty seven. In nineteen sixty eight, in March, uh, they opened a brand new headquarters and maintenance-based facility, which is where my dad actually ended up working. But in 1971, they started replacing the 727, and the 737, 200s, and they uh, were a lot better suited for some of the smaller markets that they served uh, throughout the Midwest. And then by 1979, uh, the airline had uh, over 5,000 employees and they had 35 737 200s and 25 580s and they served 94 cities in 26 states in Canada and Mexico. They succumbed to uh, rising fuel costs and really some of the, f- the first fare wars uh, in the early 1980s with uh, People Express uh, that in 1985 so they really started kind of going downhill and were uh, out of business by 1986.
1: We, I, I know we talked about this a little bit. Uh, I think the first episode that we had you on when you talked about the smoking section of the airplane and having to pick tar off the <laughs> the side of the of the <laughs> airplanes and you're non-revving in a suit with some chain smoker next to you. Let, let, let's talk more or, or less about the non-revving aspect and talk more about your dad's career because I, I didn't think we really talked about that. And I'm fascinated to hear about it. You you said that he worked at the maintenance facility what, what was your dad's career like with Frontier? A little bit of backstory. So my, my
0: dad was in the Air Force uh, after um, he was discharged. He worked for Boeing in Seattle for a short time. Then he actually got a job closer to family in Minneapolis with Northwest. But they were on strike more than he was working. So he <laughs> ended up getting a job in 1977 uh, with Frontier in Denver. He actually started in the seat shop. There, So uh, I have a lot of airline wings uh, that he would find in the, the seat back pockets uh, from back <laughs> then, uh, which was kind of cool. He primarily worked uh, as a mechanic, uh, as, a, as a line mechanic. So you're, you know, doing, you know, uh, unscheduled maintenance uh, tire changes. At that time, they would do the pushbacks. Um, so they, they did those. Maintenance mm. uh, did the pushbacks? Yeah, they did. Uh, wow. And that was actually commonplace. Uh, even at mainline carriers, um, until I like, call probably the, the late nineties, early two thousands, but hmm. yeah, yeah, you know, he actually ended up working there for, it was about almost 10 years, um, before, um, you know, they were absorbed and he actually ended up getting a job with Piedmont after that. And he, he was, uh, uh, with them until he retired, uh, when it was us airways, uh, about 2005, but he did, um, you know, sheet metal work, um, he did just about uh, you know, engine changes, uh, you name it. Uh, he did a lot of different things in his career. So.
1: Did he do it because he loved aviation, or did he do it because he he felt like he was a good mechanic from what he had learned as his time in the Air Force? Because as Drew and I have talked about multiple times, there are kind of two different groups with, who work in the aviation sector. There are those who do it because, hey, it was a job that I could get, and there, there are those who do it because they're passionate about deviation
0: when when you're i think when you're a lot of people will maybe agree or maybe disagree with this but pe- people who are mechanics just like to, to tinker with things mm-hmm. and, and, yeah, and
2: your dad mm-hmm. likes to constantly fix stuff that
0: so doesn't. that doesn't need so, to be yeah. fixed. <laughs> right so he's a he's a like a, a natural fixer and mm. uh, you know that started uh, when he was in high school he worked at a filling station uh, in south dakota and uh, work, you know, working on cars. Uh, you know, he he'd tell stories about yeah, I bought a car for a hundred bucks and put a new motor in it and sold it for three hundred dollars and things right. like that. And I don't necessarily think that he was really and back, you know, in the in the late fifties, sixties, aviation was much different too. So, and being in in, a, in a, like a small town, he didn't have exp- uh, exposure to airplanes until mm-hmm. he really got to the air force. I think that was something that he probably took an interest to um you know in his during his service time and and he just basically followed the career because that's what he he could do um and what he was trained to do and probably and there was a lot more money in in aircraft maintenance compared to like auto repair so uh you know he had a specialty um for his skill so i I don't necessarily think he was like a really into aviation itself but uh he was really good at it and i think you know he his back will tell him otherwise, but I mean, I think he has, <laughs> he has a lot of sacrifices involved in, and and doing you know those type of work. He's he still uh, you know has a uh, an interest in aviation, probably just not to the degree that maybe some of us do.
2: Well, speaking of that, so somehow you so this was early on. This is when you were non riving You have the story about taking a bus from the hangar. So you were you were obviously very much into aviation. You want to tell us about the bus ride around around the airport? Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah. So. Anytime we went anywhere, uh, that was uh, the best part. Was uh, you know we'd park at the hangar, and then and, and just you you know roll our bags through in in my three piece leisure suit suit, <laughs> and uh, so we, you know you could always tell. Uh, I wish you had know, a picture of that. Uh, All the people, uh, they were going. You went right through the hangar, uh, you know, with your roller bags and um, you know. I guess even at that time, maybe it was more like uh, the collapsible um, metal carrying the two piece. Um, yeah. Yeah. But kind of so that was actually kind of pre pre-roller board days when you had your little carrier with that you put all your bags on. It was like with the bungee cord and all that. What year um, is this? I mean, this was I mean, my dad started in 77, so it was probably they, they did that probably the most of the time we were there. So this is like from 77 through, you know, 86. They they had this bus so you'd go to the to, to the to the hangar, you'd walk through, and then catch this the school bus, and it would snake its way around the airport. Uh, it would stop at other hangars around um, the airport, and then it would drop you off at the terminal. But uh, like from you know plane spotting, that was like you know your ramp level uh, as a kid. You know being able to see all these different planes, um, you know parked at the hangar. Like for example, United had a hangar there. They parked like some DC eights there for years, Hmm. they were, they were just sitting there stored. They, they, they weren't flying. So, you know, you get to see those over parked on the corner and then you'd make uh, around the bend. And there was um, another hangar there uh, that was operated by, it was uh, Combs air service. Like that was an FBO. And you, you would just see all these uh, airplanes that, you know, you don't, you know, these defunct airlines, like you'd see a TWA L-1011 and, uh, Hughes Air West would fly DC-9, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. the, the flying banana that was all yellow uh, and you know, like a Western 727. There was an airline called Wien Air Alaska that would fly in there. And there was even a charter company called uh, Denver Ports of Call that they had a, a Convair 880s that they would fly. And they had a, a hangar over on the other side of the airport. But uh, just to see the, all those different airlines um, it was just like fascinating to me, and I was, I was, I actually used to do plane spotting from my backyard to see all those planes when they fly over my house with binoculars, and I'd write down, you know, what airline it was and what time it was, and it was just, it was just a
1: cool time. Yeah, you, well, you were, you were creating flight aware before flight aware was a thing. Right, right. Just didn't. It was. It. It was the manual process. Matt, you went from airline brat to airline supervisor, now travel agent. Let's move into your world. We use a lot of weird terms in the airlines and travel industry that are hard to remember and hard to understand. We're going to rapid fire because we are going along in this session, but we're going to give you the terms that we hear and have you explain in just a couple seconds to us and our listeners what they are. Drew, let's alternate. You can go first.
2: It just sounds very violent, but what is an open jaw ticket?
1: Uh, So open jaw would be uh, when you fly...
0: Uh, into one city, but then you fly out of another. So if you went from New York to to Venice, but then you flew from Rome back to New York, that would be an open jaw. What is skip
1: lagging or a hidden city?
0: That would be whenever you book a flight that has a connection, but then you get off in the connection city. So if you're flying from, say, um, Denver to New York, but it has a connection in that's a bad example. Uh, let's say Denver to Charlotte, and then you're supposed to connect to Wilmington. Uh, so you get off in Charlotte because the, the fare is cheaper in Charlotte than if you would have went all the way to Wilmington, which uh, is qu- quoted as not being illegal in some circles, but uh, the airline can suspend your your mileage. And if you have to check a bag like at the Jetway, it's going to go to Wilmington, not to, to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So, well, so, so what listeners
2: understand. So you want to go to Charlotte, but the fares to Charlotte are expensive, but to Wilmington they're cheap because they have to compete with all these other airlines. But you connect in Charlotte, so you get to Charlotte, and you're like, I'm here, not going on the next flight. Just what, was, what were you saying? Do not check a bag because the airline's going to ch- send it to Wilmington.
0: Right, and and see, that's the, the thing is that you may not check a bag at the at the counter, but. If the flight's full, you may not have a choice when you get to the gate. Uh, if you have to gate check your bag. Yeah, I've, I've run into situations like that before uh, where people thought they were going to be fast, as we always say. <laughs> and
1: and no, sorry, this you're going to have to drive to Wilmington to get your bag because we're not going to send it to just Charlotte. Well, and the airline collects a lot of data too, and they'll see that you didn't board the flight to Wilmington. And if it happens once, okay, that's that's fine. But if you're a repeat offender, then I've I've read stories and heard about airlines that follow up with people and they they catch them for doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah don't be a wanted poster by the airlines.
2: <laughs> this is very esoteric, and it, but any airline or reservation agent has seen this. What is an arunk? And that is A R N K. It's a code.
0: Yeah, most people that aren't looking at a native like Saber or Apollo format wouldn't even see this. But it, since it is kind of a, a throwback term, uh, but basically it kind of is goes back to the open jaw term. So it basically is uh, like a, an entry in the system that will separate those cities. So normally in ticketing. If it's a, a regular round trip, it will. There's not. Uh, there's not an issue, but uh, it's basically a way to tell the system, "Hey, there's a different city here," and it's like a break in the page, so to speak, uh, this just separates uh, the the two city pairs
1: So you know, when they're different like that. To stay yeah, it was the, like the, to stay on the same PNR,
2: right? Stay on the same PNR. This is like the reservation agent's uh, version of speed tape. Mm-hmm. Like you book them someplace, they want to come back through someplace else, and you just cannot get the entry. You can't get it closed out. And then it's like, oh, just throwing a runk in there. It's like,
1: oh, boom, fixed. And then it works. Yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the next one, co terminals. So there's lots of uh, co terminals around the
0: world, actually. Uh, but any city that has more than one primary airport. So uh, New York is probably the most common one, with uh, Newark, York, JFK, and then Chicago, Midway, and O'Hare. Uh, Los Angeles area, you have uh, you know LAX, Orange County, uh, Ontario, Burbank. Uh, so yeah, there's the list goes on, but uh, yeah, any any a lot of a lot of ticket uh, rules may allow travel into a co terminal without any penalties. So if you, you can be rebooked like to any of the New York area airports, uh, and it's considered the same.
2: And if you're going to London, your co terminals could be 90 miles away. You could be, <laughs> be Luton and Heathrow, and they're co terminals. Right. All right. What is a what is a married segment?
0: Whenever two segments get together and, you know, they really like each other, they may decide <laughs> to get married. In booking flights, a uh, married segment would be uh, two segments that can only be booked together. Uh, so, so certain cities, uh, this comes into play with code shares a lot where uh, if you're booking a, a flight from uh, domestically from, say, uh, Fort Lauderdale to JFK uh, is going to be on and uh, um, it could be a, a British Airways code share with American, for example. But then it's going to be from JFK to London is is British Airways. So the only way that those can be sold together is if by a married segment. So you couldn't sell a British Airways flight from Fort Lauderdale to New York unless it had that married segment across the water. So so there it's like there's a terms and conditions for those segments that you you can like. It, it, require a like a connecting segment to be booked with it so but you and also you like if you're rebooking you can't split apart uh, a segment that was a connection so if you wanted to to just book the one segment across the water by itself uh it it may not let you because it's it was a married segment with the other one so you have to cancel them both not just one of them what is a pnr pnr uh, passenger name record so that's what your your record uh your itinerary would be in when you book with the airline
2: this is where airlines just are so out of control because we love the abbreviations. Acronyms. Why don't you just say reservation? No, it mm-hmm. has to be PNR, passenger name record. And speaking of acronyms, what is an SSR?
0: SSR, so special service request. So that could be anything from a, a wheelchair to an accompanied mire to a, uh, a vegetarian meal request. So any anything that would
1: be an additional request. Final one, what's an ad collect?
0: Ad collect would be... A difference in fare. So if you change your ticket and the new ticket is more, uh, the ad collect would be the difference between what you originally paid and uh, what the new fare is.
2: Can you explain all these different fare codes? Like at our airline, we have three or four, right? That we Cabins or three cabins. But there's like 10 fare codes. There's F, Y, X, C, D. What, what do all these mean?
0: That's very confusing. Um, if you look at the details after you purchase a ticket, it, it will it should tell you like what what fare basis that you purchased, and, and usually it'll start with one of these letters. So, so your fare basis could be like XQ59753 or something. Um, so they they all have a, a unique code for whatever fare you purchased. It basically goes from left to right from the highest fare class to the lowest. So starting with first class, you know, F would be full fare first if it has a three cabin and a lot of airlines are just two cabins now, but uh they'll just then it'll go to business class, which would be your c j z some there's i and each airline can have different codes that they use, so they may vary slightly between the carriers but uh then code full fare coach like a walk up fare would be y and then it goes down the list from there x b. O N-O and and so on and so forth but the the farther to the right it goes the lower the fare uh, okay. so as it as it sells out it goes up to the next higher one f- f- um, from the right to the left but yeah some airlines uh, like American uh, seven is the most seats that it'll show and then others are nine so nine would be the most you can sell so if it's a group more than nine you either have to split it into two
1: records or you have to would have to call like a group desk for them to book anything more than nine i did a revenue management class for my for grad school and the entire class was learning this fare structure and it's actually pretty it's actually pretty fascinating it's revenue management and it's the way that you've seen these articles about why did one passenger sitting next to another pay five hundred dollars more for the same flight well because it was the walk up at the at the desk an hour before the flight fare, versus someone who booked 330 days in advance and and the way the airlines, when they build the schedules and they know what airplane they're going to be flying and how many seats are on that, they put all of the seats into these fare buckets. That's why if you book way far in advance, you're going to pay less because there's more inventory available and you can get these lower fare buckets. Now, at the same time, if there is ear ops and you are a Y versus one of the lower economy, a lot of times if, if you're a higher fare class and, and, of course, an elite, but mainly the higher fare class, you're going to get priority when it comes to rebooking options sent somewhere else. And it's, it's a fascinating world of revenue management for all these flights. Well, So it starts off with the airlines being,
2: hey, everyone's welcome. Come buy a ticket. We want you to fly. But then like this summer, it gets to the point where now they're hate selling tickets where mm-hmm. they don't want you to buy anything. So there's probably two fare codes available. And they're probably the highest first class and economy fares because they probably just have like a couple seats to sell. It's mm-hmm. all about supply and demand. You were talking about, so it'll say F nine, J nine, Y nine. That means there's at least nine seats in that fare bucket, which means the flight's wide open. If you're seeing a lot of nines across the availability, right, all the fare classes. So remember, as a kid, we um, we had to learn some of this working in operations. So I had a express pilot come. He, I think he was going to Orange County. He's like, "Hey, can we see if there's seats on this other airline?" So I'm like, "Yeah, let me pull up availability." So then it comes up. Uh, F zero, C zero, everything's zero, and the guy's like, "Hey, what does that mean?" Fo quo vo, yo. It's like it means you're not getting on, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't like to see to see zeros. And a popular misconception is that you know airlines are always you know changing their fares, and you know they well, or they they dropped the fare, and you know now my ticket's so much less. And that's not really true because what what usually happens is that if someone cancels uh, their reservation, those seats go back into inventory. So it's possible that two weeks from now, someone canceled their their seat in an X class, and now it's available. So somebody Mm. else can go and book that. But it it doesn't mean that the airline just arbitrarily said, you know what, we're going to drop the fare 300 bucks here just to make Mr. Smith mad. And and that's not the case most of the time. Not to say that there's not hate selling going on, (laughs) like you said, but, or there, there could be a maybe a promotion or something, but but for the most time, it's just uh, a supply and demand and seats. And if you have you're looking for four tickets sometimes, there maybe there's only three available. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's, it's, you, so it's gonna go to, to the up. next mm-hmm. you have to go to the next higher fare that has four seats available. But so sometimes you could say split it up, but you see, you don't know that as a consumer though, it's like that there's only one seat in this fair and then there's three in the next. So right. you, you wouldn't have any idea. So hopefully
2: now it makes a little bit more sense. Although I'm, i feel like I'm more confused now. But, uh, All right. Be- Matt, before
1: we, before we close, mm-hmm. Matt had a joke or something funny. That oh yeah. Tell them, and then we can do the closing. Matt, right.
2: before we, before we close up, what's this thing about reverse screening?
0: So we were talking about uh, the hijackings, um, you know, back in the '70s, which, you know, was kind of popularized in the movie Airplane. And, uh, you know, it 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 kind of seemed kind of ridiculous that it wasn't there wasn't really a lot of security, you know, and, until some of the hijackings took place. And then even after that happened, it seemed like it continued to happen with and things. So even up until like the 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 late 1990s, uh, when I worked in Denver for Express. We had reverse screening uh, at some select cities, which I guess were deemed low risk. Uh, so if you were flying from places like uh, Pure, South Dakota, to Denver, uh, they there was no, you know, TSA or screening in Pure, uh and you wouldn't actually go through security until you reached Denver, uh, which was just crazy to think that in like 1996 that this could still be a thing there, 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 I don't know. There's probably, there was, there used to be a horseshoe there in Denver, which uh, I think they finally rebuilt after 20 some years, but it was like a temporary structure. They forgot to put in express gates. So they had to put up these, these metal um, mobile homes essentially, but one side was pre-screened the other side was the reverse screening. So you had to make sure that the airplane coming in to the, to the correct screening area and there's actually several security breaches because someone an ops for made a a gate change and then didn't realize it was not screened oh God, i can see that happening that's
1: good that's good that denver did that because flying through minneapolis growing up when our initially dubuque did not have screening when we got to mm. minneapolis we had to go through screening then, that is
2: so crazy. You've already been on a fl- plane. You've already mm-hmm. flown.
1: Then Dubuque put in screening, but Minneapolis still just kept the mass screening. You would go through screening in Dubuque. You would come into the regional terminal and to get into the main airport. Didn't matter if you already went through screening, you had to go through screening again. It, it was a double screening. Double whammy. Right. Yeah. So at least Denver separated that into pre screened and not screened. Right. But
0: uh, I, there's a guy I worked with on the ramp and. He was a jokester, and I would not recommend doing this. But he actually crawled into the x-ray machine. I don't believe it was on at the time. I at least hope for his sake. But he crawled in there uh like through the conveyor belt and then came out to the other side and just about gave the security agent a heart attack (laughs) and and she was like well that's that's pretty funny but i just wish you'd warn a girl but when she has to go to the bathroom first you know
2: (laughs) all right so this was a simpler time because today that person there would have been a swat team out and the whole concourse closed right because someone was trying to be
0: trying to be cute yeah yeah good times
2: all right so we went long this we could have kept going i we actually edited some things on the fly right here so matt thanks for co-hosting and tank diving Av geek topics with us again
0: yeah always a pleasure to be here guys and talking
1: uh old school and new school topics and going back in time yeah thanks matt we'll send you your first paycheck which we base on profits which means that currently you owe us 25 dollars yeah i put it on my tab so yeah (laughs) well we love your rants so come back soon and rile us and our listeners again yeah, I didn't label them on the, uh,
0: on the outline this time. I didn't have rant number one or
1: two or three or six.
0: <laughs> no, it's just a
2: whole episode of rants. There's no need. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm going to have a competing podcast. It's called Matt's Rants. So <laughs> you know, look, look for that soon.
2: Av Rants. <laughs> All right. With that, uh, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nextripnetwork.com, and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
1: Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough.
0: This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show.